Our Father in heaven, how we trust that you will truly show mercy to us in Christ and bless us with your grace, for you have promised this to us, O God. We pray, Father, that the nations of the world will become nations of our Lord Jesus Christ, as you have promised. Father, we pray, O God, that you would use us. We seem to be such a small group, Father, and yet we know that it is not our numbers, it is not our strength, but it is the God who goes with us. Yes. And so, Father, we pray that you would now be with us, that you would encourage us with the great and precious promises of gospel hope that we find in the scripture, that we would persevere and endure mm. until our race is mm. run. O oh, Lord our God, we pray that you would use this time to those ends, to the glory of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, tonight I have entitled my address, Persevering Through Precious Promises. This is a broad topic. It's not necessarily suited just for church planters and their wives. It is a topic that every Christian needs to know. Uh, all of us are pilgrims in this world who need perseverance and endurance to the end. But especially for those of us who labor unto the Lord in difficulty, we need to look to the promises of God, and that is what we will do tonight. So 2 Peter chapter uh, 1 and verse 4 will be our text, but I'll read the first four verses. Please give your attention to the reading of God's holy word, 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And here's our text. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, it seems like the need of the day is perseverance, especially in the gospel ministry. Men are running ragged, often are burning out. Their wives here are experiencing great and tremendous pressures. In our own midst, we have presbyteries who are picking up the pieces of shattered congregations, and elders who have much to do in their own congregation are now having to shepherd and help out congregations in great distress. Our members are feeling the strain of the world, and a lot of times the controversies of the world are entering the church. We were reflecting as a home missions board how much COVID has been a bit of a flashpoint and has caused a lot of mischief in our congregations as the enemy has been sowing a lot of mischief through that, and it's even crippled some of our congregations. In a lot of ways, we're seeing that as these things are distressing the church, hope is starting to falter in a lot of quarters. And once hope starts to diminish, the church starts to lose its power and potency, and men and women start to lose their perseverance. And so what I'd like to set before you tonight, this is one great means, it's not by any means the only means, one great means that the Lord has given to us to persevere is by faith to believe and trust and look to his promises. His promises that are sure, steadfast, and called precious here in our text. And I was thinking out Hebrews 10.36 as we think on this theme of endurance, which says, For ye have need of patience, that is, endurance, 
that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Hear that. One neglected means of endurance or perseverance is to cling onto by faith the promises of God. And to know there are exceeding great and precious promises promised to us in the Bible. God has promised to us promises for every circumstance that we face in this world. Which is why Peter says they are great promises and they are precious to the believer. And I was thinking as church planners, right, you know this. How many times have you looked to the great promise from Matthew 16, 18? What do we always look to? I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. We look to that as a promise and it spurs us on, doesn't it? Faith leans into that promise. Faith trusts in that promise. Faith lays hold of the promise, believing Christ is conquering and going to conquer. And what happens? Missionaries go out in view of the promises. Churches are planted why? Because we have a promise from God. And though many of our churches have closed recently, and that has grieved us tremendously, we will not budge in view of the promise, I will build my church. That's what we cling to. And in every setback where it seems like hell is plundering the church rather than the church plundering hell, we say, nevertheless, we will walk by faith in the promise and not by sight. And when we trust in the Lord, when we show our, 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 our faith is in God, God honors that. He causes us to endure, looking to his promise, trusting in him, and he helps our souls. And if that is just one promise, remarkably, there's a whole constellation, a great treasury of precious promises in the scripture. Again, verse 4, to us are given exceeding great and precious promises. First of all, do we see the Bible in that way. Can we agree with Peter that to us are given exceeding great and precious promises? Are they great to us? Are they precious to us? Does that text hold true to our soul? They're given to us as a gift, aren't they? God says they're given to us. That's grace. He says, hold on to these promises. They're like an inexhaustible bank for our faith that we can always draw on. You know, if we would look, if we would look to our scripture promises, you see here, Peter says they are precious, almost like treasure. If we would look on our scripture promises more regularly than our stock portfolio, how greatly would we endure? Yet how often are you refreshing your portfolio and not looking through the scripture for promises from God? Our promises, unlike the market, are steadfast, immovable. Treasures laid up for us by God. They are our hopes, and they console us when we look unto Jesus and endure by them. You know, just historically, our forefathers saw the need for this. They ministered the promises of God, and the Lord greatly blessed them. For Spurgeon, he said each promise was like a check that you could cash, made good by God. Right? Uh, I don't know if anybody here is familiar with his daily devotional. It's wonderful. The checkbook of the Bank of Faith, Right? It's a wonderful way to remind ourselves of the precious promises that we have of God. And I would just think only Spurgeon could write a title like that, the checkbook <laughs> of the bank of faith. Um, but it's expressing to us our given precious promises. We have a whole treasury of them, a whole bank to draw on. And the Erskins, the seceders, they not only persevered by the promises, but they also ministered them. 
And they said that ministering, and I want you to take this away in your church plans, ministering the promises was a key component of their ministry. What they were doing is always, they were never pointing men and women to themselves. They were always pointing them to Christ and his promises. So they looked to Christ and looked to his promises. Ralph Erskine said that for fishers of men, the promises were as fishing hooks to hook various souls. And as varied as the, the fish in the sea were, so are the hooks of promises in the gospel ministry. He hypothetically asked these kinds of questions, and I think they're wonderful to reflect on. He asked, do you say, I am a poor, insignificant worm? He says, there's a hook of promise for you in Isaiah 41, 14. Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and I will help thee. He asks, are you poor and needy? He says, there's a hook for you three verses later. When the poor and needy seek water and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. You see, two verses, uh, three verses apart, two promises. And he said, if one promise does not fit you, go to another. Now, as I set this theme of persevering through promises before you, I want you to also remember the supreme example of this, which was Jesus Christ, our Lord. He himself persevered by thinking on God's promises. Remember Hebrews 12, 2. We know it well. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who what? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. How did Jesus endure? He looked to the promises of God, didn't he? How did he view his sufferings with a view to the promise of glory? After his resurrection, Luke 24, what did he explain? Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What kind of promises do you, did our Lord think on? There are so many. But think of Isaiah 53, 11 through 12. He shall, that word shall, that is a promise. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. What a promise is in Psalm 110, Psalm 2, and so on. There are so many promises our Lord looked at. He looked beyond his agony. He set his eye on the promise of God, and he persevered. How much more we need to. We're not sinless. We are not perfected. As Hebrews 10.36 said, For ye have need of endurance, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. And so God gives power to our faith through his precious promises for our perseverance, especially right to do his will in gospel ministry. We have to remember that. That after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. And I'll also note that looking to the promises is going to be the theme tonight, but I just want you to look at this here. Looking to the promises makes us like Jesus in our character, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, and gives us patient endurance like he did. Verse 4 says that by these ye might, have, uh, might be partakers of the divine nature. You become like your Savior as you look to the promises. And you have a great need for that as well. So with that, I have three headings tonight. And the first of those is the qualities of God's promises. And before we go much further, we should ask, what is a promise from God? William Spurstow defined it as a declaration of God's will, wherein he signifies what particular good things he will freely bestow 
and the evils he will remove. These promises are for God's children only. We are children of children of promise, aren't we? Isn't that what the Bible calls us? We are the inheritor of the promises of God. And these promises are God's will for his children. They are his ple- uh, pledges of fatherly goodness for us, promising you will have this son or daughter. And to rightly divide the word as our confession does, we distinguish them from commandments, which are for our performing, and from his threatenings, which are the opposite of the promises. If you don't come to Christ, you will have the threatenings. But the promises are of grace, and they are for comfort. Blessings that flow out of Christ and the covenant of grace, which is a promise itself from God to us. And for the promises to have any value, you know, I I might promise things that I cannot actually keep. We must know who their guarantor is. It's Jehovah, the Lord God Almighty, possessor of heaven and earth. He is the guarantor of the promises and our absolute trust. This is where faith comes in. He will make good on what he says. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Numbers 23, 19. And so we find consolation and promises, first and foremost, out of God's character. Out of God's character and his perfections. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, they might have a strong what? Consolation. Hebrews 6.18. You see, because of the character of God, we are comforted. How else in the gospel do you have any comfort? If this was not God's character. Now, remember the substance of Abraham's faith when it came to the promises. Romans 4, 20 through 22. Listen to how promise is brought out with saving faith. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. And here's what we really need to be uh, uh, paying attention to. And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Now, This is the hinge of our faith, isn't it? And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. It is a matter of saving faith to believe in the promises of God. As staggering as the promise that Abraham had before him, what was that promise? Earlier in the chapter, it reiterated it for us. Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. That's a staggering promise. Impossible to believe without faith. But faith is persuaded. Did you hear that? Faith is persuaded that what God promises, he will perform. And that's where we get consolation. And that's the kind of saving faith that imputes righteousness. And that then means that all of you who believe on the gospel have this faith that believes in all of the promises of God. And our confession, when it speaks of saving faith, says a quality of saving faith is that it embraces what wonderful language there is there. Embraces the promises of God, not just for the life to come, but for this life and the life to come. Confession of Faith 14.2. And so we have many great and precious promises, but let's never move past this. The greatest of them all is Jesus Christ. Greatest of them all. Friends, when faith embraces the gospel promise, and that's why I like that, that language of embraces, it embraces Christ like Simeon did, didn't it? 
Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. That word of promise, right? That we would have Christ. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And so faith that believes the promises of God really believes in Christ and embraces Christ. And of course, Christ himself is the meritorious cause of all the promises, isn't he? 2 Corinthians 1.20 For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. So Christ, Christ is the one who gives us the promises. They're all fulfilled in him. And so we are blessed so richly as a people, friends, to have such a Savior who gives us a treasury of grace in him, right? That he will make good on all the promises and you can cash every promise from God. In other words, whenever we have a promise from God, we look to him. We take our promise in hand and we look to the Savior and say, Savior, fulfill this. Jesus earned it. And so we can say, I can cash it because he earned it. And we say, right, if my precious Savior is my salvation, how will he not give me all of God's promises to? So to look on God's promises by faith and to persevere by believing them will bring a blessing. And it is simply this, that the Lord honors the man or woman that trusts him. At some times, I think we make things a lot more complex than they ought to be. But he that honors me, I will honor, he says. And so the Lord says, Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is, Jeremiah 17, 7. Right? You have a blessing when you trust in the Lord because when you say, I believe this promise like Abraham did, it's really saying, I believe something about you, God. I believe in your nature. I believe in your goodness. I believe in your sovereignty. I believe that you are not a liar. And that even if the whole world, if, if between me and, and the promise uh, is the devil and all his minions, I believe that I will get to the promise because of you, not because of me. And he honors that. He honors them. And so the promises are guaranteed because God makes them and Christ fulfills them. We have every right to rest in them. And you need to see it this way. To doubt them. You know, sometimes you go, well, I'm, I'm being humble. No, you're being impious if you doubt any of these promises. It is sinful to doubt any of the promises God promises to us. No matter what. We have no right to doubt them. We have every right to rest in them. So let's consider our next heading, Promises for Every Circumstance. And so as I've said already, we have to start with the greatest promise, which is the gospel promise. Do you think on and do you minister the gospel as a promise from the Lord? You must. There is a much neglect of doing that these days. But the gospel is a promise. What good is the gospel if it wasn't a sure and steadfast promise? What good is it? It's nothing. Think on how beautifully God expresses the promise. Romans 10.13, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a wonderful promise. What power there is in that. You know, when I evangelize, I hold it forth as a promise to the lost, because it is. God promises to the lost who will come to Christ that all of you who call on him will be saved. No question. No question. No matter what you have done, no matter what is in your past, what sins you've committed against the God of heaven, you call on his name in Jesus Christ, you shall be saved. How simple that is to do. Consider how Paul used that promise in Acts 16. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou, what, might, shall be saved. He could minister it as a promise, not on his authority, 
but because Christ has promised it himself. Do you believe that promise yourself? You know, sometimes, you know, you can't take for granted, even in a room like this, that you believe that promise. Do you believe it as a sure promise? If you've never been converted, certainly you must believe that today. But also, if you have been converted and you lack assurance, you need to see that's a promise. Have I called on the name of the Lord? I am saved. Praise the Lord. And then you must minister it to others. You know, I ministered that promise just that simply to a woman who believed she couldn't be saved. She had dealt with drugs. She'd had an abortion. These things had and many other evils. And she sat in my office and I ministered the gospel as a promise. And I said from Hebrews 10, 17, and their sins and their iniquities, I will remember no more. And she said, can it be? And she had goosebumps, she said, and she believed on the Lord and was converted. Because there's a promise there from God that you're able to minister. And that's what, really, at the end of the day, it's not our words, right? It's the promise of God that matters. And there is a treasury of promises in this word, as the confession says, for this life, not just the life to come, in this life as well as the one to come. Ralph Erskine rhetorically asked, tell me a case where the promise does not reach, as a challenge. Right? His meaning is there is a promise suited for every circumstance, which is needful because we are all in great need of perseverance through promises. He has given us in this text, he says, uh, he has, in verse 3, given us uh, unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. And the promises are part of that. And so we have a complete Savior. And with the thought in your mind of persevering by them, I want to give you some examples. I am not going to exhaust, this is a very big Bible. I'm not going to exhaust that tonight or even this weekend. But to motivate you to think in this direction and discover what the Lord has to say. To minister them, not just to yourself, but to your flock. This will be such a help to you in the ministry. As you minister them to your flock or your friends or family or, or whatever. Let's start with your labors for Christ, as maybe that's pressing on you tonight. Do you feel your labors are in vain, though you have done them for the Lord? Is there not a promise for you in 1 Corinthians 15, 58? Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much what? As ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Do you believe that your labor is not in vain in the Lord? Is it not the height of impiety to say, I don't believe that? It really is. Who will be really here the first person to call God a liar? But what is the use of the promise? It's so that you would persevere, isn't it? Be steadfast, unmovable, always what? Abounding in the work of the Lord. Even if I don't see any fruitfulness for my ministry, right? What am I to believe? The promise, my labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's the promise from God. And so he says, don't be discouraged. Be steadfast, unmovable, and abound in the work of the Lord. Right? What we have to do is, so long as we're walking by faith and we're doing our ministry faithfully, right? even if no one is converted, even if marriages seem to be broken up in our, in our congregations, if we are faithful to that, we have to believe our labor is not in vain because God has promised that to us. Brother and sister, take up that promise and be abounding in the work of the Lord. And you need to labor by faith in the promise and not by sight of perceived fruitfulness. Maybe there are no conversions, but I will go into the highways and hedges anyway. Maybe the counseling room has not saved many marriages, but I will go and counsel anyway. 
and seek to save marriages. Maybe the preaching seems to have little fruit, but I will preach all the counsel of God. And when you think on it that way, the Holy Spirit will fill your heart with the promise and make you steadfast, immovable, and abounding. Do you feel crushed under many burdens, as though you are about to break? Is there not a precious promise for your child of God in Matthew 12.20, which of course is citing Isaiah, a bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench. That's a promise from God. It's not a sentiment. It's not a platitude. That's a promise from God that you can take to the bank. And if you look back at your life, believer, with all the burdens you have carried, you may have been bruised and, and your flame, your light, may seem to have been ready to go out at many points, but the Lord has kept you from breaking, hasn't he? And he has kept your gospel light from being quenched. And you know this promise is true then. And you need to believe it the next time you need it. Along those lines, do you need power to persevere? Here's a great promise for you from Isaiah 40, 29 to 31. This is a promise. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But what? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Do you hear that? Shall. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You have to take up the promise and wait upon the Lord. See, that's the key, isn't it? He has a condition. We'll talk about conditions a little later. He says, wait on me, and this shall happen. Even if that promise, you think of how long Abraham had to wait for the promise. But it came, didn't it? And we might have to wait a while for the strength to come. But he says it shall come. And we must believe it. Some seasons, my mind almost seizes up with the many matters before me. I feel drained and overwhelmed, even faint. And so I often take up that text and pray it and believe it. That God is no liar. What he promises, he is able to perform. And my strength seems that after waiting is so miraculously renewed as I grow in dependence on the Lord. And you need to take that promise then, right? It's not just for yourself. You minister it to others in the congregation too. There are many who need that promise from God. And they need to hear it as a promise to them. What if you are laboring in tears, brethren? How often do you take up the promise of God? Oh, what a sweet promise it is. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. That's a promise. Psalm 126, verse 5. You must believe it, that you will reap in joy. In fact, um, sowing is often best done, as they say, in tears. Right? Tears over souls. I was just talking to our brother earlier about that very thing. And uh, often sowing is best done in that manner, because there's actually no promise given to sowing in levity, is there? Just one attached to sowing in tears. And so we need to think that. Do you believe it? Do you believe that you have a promise in sowing in tears? Is that not a motivation to persevere with tear-streaked faces? The world and the devil are tempting us to think that to labor in tears means to stop laboring. But God says the opposite. Labor in tears, and one day you will expect to reap with joy, even if it is in glory when he reveals to you all the work and the labors. And again, minister this to others too. They need to hear it. Are you troubled in your soul over your own sin? And I was thinking about a group like this. Those of us who are closer to the Lord and walk with him daily, we actually, you know, we run into this issue, which is we know more of the holiness of God. And sometimes our sin troubles us all the more than it might even in the congregation for them. 
you know, we often ask, knowing the holiness of God, could the Lord, would the Lord forgive me of what I have done? I'm not talking about ministry disqualifying sins, but you know what I mean. We often become despondent and the devil robs our ministry of its power. What promise can we take up? There's so many. How about, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever. Listen to this, because he delighteth in mercy. To think that we have a God that delights in mercy. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Micah 7, 18. How many times, I, I think in a group like this, you have probably ministered that to others. God delights in mercy. Take it up for yourself. Take it up for yourself as well as you're troubled by your sin. Sometimes, I was thinking of this, right? Gospel promises are sometimes the hardest to minister. Because when we know the gospel, we know God and we know who we are. The gospel promises are the most extravagant of them all. But we have, again, no right to disbelieve them. And when we feel unclean, we are to take up other promises, like in 1 John 1, 7 through 9. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. And we say, hallelujah. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we say, Lord, I am unclean, we take this promise, don't we? And the uncleanness, we have to believe, is put away, not because of us, but because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And we press on and are persuaded by the promise. And we are to minister that to others. See, this is something that has been robbed out of so much ministry. I'm not speaking of any of you here. But I'll just note that this, this idea of ministering a promise like that, as a promise, not as a Bible verse, right? But actually a promise that you can cash in from God has been sorely neglected. But we must do it. Are you tempted to sin? Will you believe in a promise? And this is often, for those who wrestle with temptations, a hard promise, but it is a promise. 1 Corinthians 10.13, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. That's a promise, isn't it? We have to believe it. Well, do you need... Do you need Boldness and courage in the ministry to speak a hard word to an erring member. We've talked about some of that this meeting. To discipline even a fellow elder. To preach the word outside the church walls. Do you fear becoming unpopular for taking a stand for Christ and his word in your community, in your session, in your presbytery, in the synod? Some of you have gone through some very difficult trials, even in our own courts. Well, you need a promise from God. You do that the Lord will be with you. What did he tell Joshua? Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. Joshua 1.9. Unless you think that that promise was just for Joshua, that is a general promise that is taken up in Hebrews 13.5-6. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What's the use? so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do to me. It's the same word he gave to Joshua, given to all of us here. There's another exceeding great and precious promise for perseverance, because really what greater promise is there? That the Lord is with us. 
that God is with us in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel. What about when you are afflicted in soul or body? Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. There are two promises in that verse. The first I don't think we like very much. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. We need to remember that. That's God's truth. Brother and sister, we need to be rid of the idea that we will not be afflicted. That's not biblical theology. The world has poisoned our soul and it teaches us, right? It teaches us in our advertising that we have no right to face affliction. Right? The world's advertising teaches us that here's a pill for every purpose so that you can be happy all the time. But the Lord has given a contrary promise to that. And the second promise in the verse is precious to believers. But the Lord delivereth him out of them all. Even if your deliverance will be awaiting on the promise Job clung to in Job 19, 25 through 27. What's the promise? For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Is that not a promise to hang on to when you are afflicted? So that you can say, as Job did, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Has discouragement over the state of the church or our nation impacted you? Have you ever even been tempted, maybe you won't confess this at a session or presbytery, to give up the mediatorial dominion of Jesus? <laughs> Open up the book to Psalm 72, 11. Yea, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. That's a promise. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? Do you need to know the promise he has given to the poor and needy when they are exploited by the world or their blood runs down the drains of the abortion mill? Psalm 72 continues, For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, the poor also and him that hath no helper. He shall spare the poor and needy and shall save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit and violence and precious shall their blood be in his sight. So we persevere and we press on and we labor for Christ's fame to spread through the gospel knowing this promise. Mm. Lastly, on the deathbed, as your faith is in Christ and doubts come as they come to many, you need to take up the promise and sing the promise in the psalm book. Psalm 1715, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. You've longed to see Jesus face to face. No longer is through a glass darkly. And you then have this promise, don't you? On the day you die, you will see him face to face and will awake with his likeness. And what will eternity be like? What is the promise? In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 1611. That's a promise, isn't it? Well, brethren, there are so many promises and they're so varied. Look at the Beatitudes, promises, Psalms, promises, Isaiah, promises, all throughout the Bible. You can look and find great and precious promises. If you're not familiar with it, uh, 17th century, uh, Divine Edward Lay wrote a treatise on the divine promises. And there's a chart in the very beginning of the book that has promises from God listed by every book of the Bible. So if you need help to find promises to meditate on. Maybe it needs to be part of your daily devotion. Let me go pick up a promise. Let me read it. Let me meditate on and let me find encouragement. I've already talked about Spurgeon's The Checkbook of the Bank of Faith, uh, which is probably very helpful for those in your congregation 
as sort of a daily meditation. Now, there is a conditional aspect to many promises, especially you might notice in the gospel, right? Without believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt not be saved, right? And so we have threatenings otherwise. Um, this might be helpful for us to understand because I, as you probably have, uh, if you're a pastor, received calls out of the blue. I had a man who was distressed and grieving over many difficulties. But I said, you know, I sympathize, I prayed with the man, I said, but I really don't have any comfort for you outside of Christ. What would it profit you to even have this difficulty removed and lose your soul? Right? And so I had to say, there's only comfort in the gospel. And so the first condition to having these promises is faith in Jesus. But there are sometimes conditions in other promises. You need to take note of it. For instance, you want your heart and soul revived. Listen to the condition in Isaiah 57, 15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth in eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We are to humble ourselves under the hand of God to have that. And he will exalt us in due time. That's the promise too. But you need to take up the promise and say, revive my soul and revive my heart. But you must also say, let me repent of my sin. And let me humble myself before you, God. Also, you can see if a promise in the Bible is for a specific person or time. You cannot take them unless they're general, as Paul did. But anyway... I'll commend Edward Lay's book again. William Spurstow wrote the well... What, our forefathers have wonderful titles. The Wells of Salvation Opened, or a treatise concerning uh, discovering the nature, preciousness, and usefulness of gospel promises, another 17th century minister. With that, finally, let's consider using the promises. I'll be a bit more brief here. So how can we use the promises effectively in our exercise of godliness and faith? First, you have to meditate on them. You need to really think on them. Um, what did Mary do? She kept and pondered them in her heart. Right? Luke 2.19. So we have to ponder them and think on them. We have to, first of all, if, if it's a promise, we know it's great and it's precious. And they must become that for us. Right? They must become that for us. We can't just say, here's, an, here's another Bible. All Bible verses are precious, of course. But... Uh, we need to look at them that way. And then we must um, meditate on them and the glory of them, the beauty of them, the, the, the perfection of them. But then we also must plead them to the Lord. Right? Something that's been neglected very much is you know, that idea of arguing with God, and of course not in a blasphemous way, but bringing the promises of God that he himself has given to us and say, Lord, make good on them. I believe, help thou mine unbelief and make good on the promise that you have given me. Faith is exercised in that, and we believe this because God is pleased to hold himself to his promises. You say in prayer, you have said, O Lord, that those who wait on you will be given strength. I bring the promise. It's all I have in my hands. It's all I can give you, Father. So will you take it and cash it? In times of temptation, when sin rises up against us, right? You have promised, Lord, there is a way of escape. Open thou mine eyes, to take it. You said, I will be able to bear it. You promised that to me. Argue it. Even if it is the temptation to despair under your, your, your burdens. You say, oh Lord, open my eyes and, and give me a way of escape. And maybe he will bring to mind his promises as a way of escape from your, your difficulty. 
and he might bring to your mind, my child, a bruised reed I will not break, and a smoking flax I will not quench. But unless that word is in your heart, it is unlikely the Holy Spirit's going to bring it to you. Meditate. Next, patiently wait upon the promises. This is a matter of faith. While the Lord makes promises, he does not promise the time in which they will come. Abraham and Sarah are prime examples. They were promised Isaac, but they waited a long time. And their sin was to be uh, too anxious for the promise and to try to help the Lord fulfill the promise. The desire for the promise is there in the heart. Keep it there, but don't be discouraged when it comes not in your own timing. If it seems it will not come to pass, Abraham and Sarah felt that strain too. When the Lord tell Habakkuk, for the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. We have to believe that with the promises of God. The promise will come in God's appointed hour. It seems to tarry, but it will not tarry. And do you remember the very next verse in that text, which is so key for our faith? Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The very key to justification by faith alone. Live by faith. The promise will come, brother. It will not tarry, sister. And your labors will be lighter when you minister them to your flock. Show them these precious promises that are for them. Have them not lean on you, but on Christ and his promises. Have them look to the promises. Your burden will be a lot easier. Send them to Jesus. You cannot bear their burdens, but he can. And he has given precious promises. Send them to another promise. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. And what's the promise? I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We often minister that text, but we have to take the next step and say, he promises this. He promises rest for you. This isn't just a verse to put up on the wall. This is one to take up and believe and cling to. And you must marvel at this promise. Send the congregation to the very promises of the Lord when it comes to their children. For what? The promise is unto you and to your children. Isn't that how it's couched? To all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Acts 2.39. And in loss, how often have we had to minister that promise? Sometimes it's all we can do when a couple loses a child. The promise is unto you and your children. With prodigals, we minister that promise as well. How different a promise is then from a platitude? The world can give platitudes, but we minister the very promises of God. Use the promises frequently that they and we will learn with an eye on Christ that through patience and comfort of the scriptures, (coughs) we might have hope. Especially in the promises Now, you must also learn to persevere by looking at promises that are afar off, those you might never receive in your own life. This is something we have to grow in, because in our society, we do not think long-term. If you look at the debt that's been racked up in our society, one of the problems of the American system is we only have a thought of ourselves. And the next, our presidents think four to eight years, their term, can I make it through office and have some temporary benefits and will people like me? I'll leave the mess to the next guy, right? Mm-hmm. My parents noted this difference in culture when they came out here from Asia. 
Back home in Asia, they would more regularly think on their children's children. They would sacrifice. They would think about the future generations. And that's a biblical thing. That's not an Asian thing, right? But we in America, with our short attention spans and immediate gratification culture, do not lay up for generations to come. We don't think of enduring institutions. What a wonderful thing. We're in a church that has lasted for centuries. Uh, That's a fragile thing, of course. We don't take glory in that. But we thank the Lord who makes promises to his church. But we are to think when we do our work for generations to come and to hang on promises then we will not see in this life. (laughs) Hebrews 11.13 These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and what? Were persuaded of them and embraced them. That's that same language all throughout the scripture. Persuasion and embracing of the promises and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. You need to embrace the promises and persevere. You might not see it in your life, but Christ's kingdom will conquer. The gospel will be victorious. Every nation, tribe, and tongue will come to a saving knowledge of our Redeemer, as he has promised. We labor for a mere moment, right? Our life is but a vapor. So is our ministry. And so we don't expect necessarily that the Lord will give all these promises in our lifetime, but we are laboring and laying up for our children and our children's children. And we're expecting that the Lord will, in the appointed time, will not tarry, but will bring these things to come to pass. As links in a chain, our labors build and build together. We are standing on our forefathers and our mothers in the faith, aren't we? And we connect in a great chain where we all look forward to these promises. The Spirit sometimes works through our meager and seemingly fruitless efforts, but on the last day all will be revealed. You'll see the tapestry of providence. And you'll see where your labors fit into the grand scheme of things. And you will glorify God and you will cast your crown at his feet. That crown of righteousness that is promised to all those who have loved his appearing. And on that, use the promises to endure afflictions. I'll just end here. Consider how Paul told Timothy to endure and do the work of the ministry. 2 Timothy 4, 5 through 7. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. He exhorts, fight, finish, and keep the faith. Why? Because of a promise. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. He has promised you a crown, brethren. Finish the course he has set you on. Keep the faith. The apostle pressed on in Nero's jail, didn't he? But even then, he looked to the promise of the crown. And more than that, his blessed Savior and his appearing. His last words to us in the scripture, close to the last words, end with a view to the promise. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto where? His heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. And in view of all that, he says to Timothy, endure afflictions, make full proof of thy ministry. Mm -hmm. Well, our time together can be nothing more than an introduction. And this is really a topic I've been leaning more into, learning more myself, growing in application. So I just encourage you all to lean on the promises of God and embrace them in Christ to persevere, especially those that seem afar off. In our epistle, 2 Peter, it ends with another view to the promise of God, chapter 3, verse 13. Nevertheless, 
we according to his promise look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. What a promise that is. You are promised a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Sin is no more. Sin is no more glory. And that's a great reminder of the last promise of the last great day. Revelation 21, 3 through 7. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, a promise. And there shall be no more death, a promise. Neither sorrow, a promise. Nor crying, a promise. Neither shall there be any more pain, a promise. For the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, why? For these words are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely a promise. He that overcometh shall inherit all things a promise. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son a promise. The Bible ends with this rapid fire promise after promise after promise. Exceeding great and precious promises from our Lord. Press on, brethren. Come what way may in view of the precious promise. Run for the prize as the apostle did, who is what? Christ himself. So may the Lord bless our meditation and your ministry for the sake of his kingdom. Let's arise for prayer. Our Father in heaven, at times we confess we neglect the precious promises of God. And when we see them, we have to cry out because they are so great and precious. And our unbelief is so great, Lord. We cry out, Lord, we believe. Help thou our unbelief. Help us believe in the precious promises of God. Help us to wait, knowing that they will not tarry, but will come at the perfect appointed hour. O Lord, help us to minister the promises to others, but help us first minister them to ourselves. For we have a great need for endurance, Father. Help us to endure to the end, that we may uh, look unto Jesus and to persevere, looking to him as that promised prize, that one day, Father, we look to that promise where we will embrace him with our own uh, arms, where we will see him with our own eyes, and we will rejoice as Simeon did to say, my eyes have beheld thy salvation. O Lord, we look forward to that day when our eyes will behold our blessed Savior. Until then, give us perseverance to the end for the sake of Christ's crown and covenant. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Amen. Let us sing.